welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We bring on three-time gold medal Paralympic champion Josh Pauls onto the podcast. Josh grew up in the New Jersey area. Uh, He was a double amputee from the time he was 10 months old, um, but has faced adversity and has had an unbelievable hockey career. Uh, Again, three Olympic gold medals. He's been a world champion, uh, and currently he is the captain of Team USA sled hockey team. Uh, What an inspiring guy. But before we do get over to Josh, let's bring on another inspiring guy, the talent of the podcast, Jeff Levecchio. Vex, what's going on today? What's up, Broski Toski? Feeling real good. Big fan of this episode. Josh Pauls is one of my favorite human beings out there. Uh, Known him for probably a little over a year now. Been training him for, I don't know, eight months maybe. Just inspiring, good human being like love this guy love everything he stands for everything he believes in and i uh, was really excited to finally get him on the podcast we had to time it out when he's releasing his new book which is gonna be nasty and uh yeah i'm just, just really excited to finally get him on yeah yeah for sure he's such a good dude so i met uh so we we call him spudzy and uh on the podcast you can figure out why he got that nickname it's actually pretty funny um but uh, i got to meet him through our uh our cousin cody barra who we've had on the podcast before uh they went to college together and uh i run this charity game at cornell every year uh to benefit the special needs community and uh spudzy actually came up and uh and played in our game we thought it would be a really cool idea for him to come up and play um and it was unbelievable because every single person there from the nhl play players that played, um, to the people that were helping to throw, uh, the charity game, um, that were working at the school for kids with special needs that we were raising money for. They all, everybody fell in love with them. They were like, we have to get him back every year. This kid is like unbelievable. And it's true. Like he's such an inspiring guy. Um, and, uh, that's what he's doing for business now. He's a motivational speaker. We had him at the, the conference or hockey development conference in Chicago. Uh, he was awesome there. So a lot of really good things that he talked about on this podcast was really neat. Yeah, and just to watch him play is is inspiring. Like, obviously to him, it's just life. It's just normal. But, you know, I, before I started training him, you know, I, I first was like, I, you know, I don't know if I can train you. I've never trained anyone with, with your disabilities you have before. I was a little nervous. And he's like, look, Vex, you're not going to break me. <laughs> like, you know, like – we'll, we'll go through this process together. We'll learn together what works, what doesn't like how you can change the way that you do things and train hockey players the way that I do, um, to make them the best on their ice. And we'll, we'll, we'll tailor it to what I can do. So I did some research. I watched some games on YouTube, did things like that, but I hadn't actually been on the ice with him until a few weeks ago after your hockey think tank conference in Chicago, which was a huge success, by the way, if we ever do another one of those again, people make sure you come because everyone there learned a lot, uh, presenters included. And, uh, we played in the, the charity game that you set up the next day and like, Oh my God, man, it is so cool to watch how he plays. Like 
him and I, and we're going to try and get like Cam Jansen and some people in the news and Nicole Hensley. We're going to try and film like him teaching us how to use the sleds on the ice, like in a month or so. And uh, what that process is like, but man, like he is so effing fast on that sled and to watch how he moves and slides and uses his body. It is really cool. It's fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he's like, he's fast too. So Dude, he is fast. He played in. Uh, it was really funny because he played in our uh, our charity game in Chicago a couple years ago. We played in it this year too. Um, but we had him do a race against Barstool Chief. They raced around the ice like uh, oh, like they do at the uh, NHL he, skills he competitions. It. it was it was really really. Fun. It was a little bit rigged, a little bit rigged. But uh, yes, he did end up beating him, and it was uh, it was a highlight of the game. Yeah. <laughs> Barstool Chief is an absolute beauty. For anyone who hasn't listened to one of our first ever podcast episodes, we had Barstool Chief on. I don't know if it was episode like two, three, four, five. It was very early. That guy is just an awesome guy. I was happy to finally meet him in person at the charity game and watch him play and see him ba- uh, bail when he jumped over the boards the one time. <laughs> and he, he almost had a breakaway and he fell down. Like I wanted that guy to score so badly. He's the biggest beauty and he's such a good follow on Twitter. I, I think it's probably just at Barstool Chief. Uh, great guy, not knowledgeable about hockey, about sports in general, but yeah, he's a cool guy, but I'm glad Josh dusted him. That's awesome. <laughs> it was, uh, it was really funny and, uh, yeah, that, he's a good dude, but J- Josh is, he's one of the best man. Like I, I, again, I say this quite, quite a you know, quite a few times on the podcast, like sometimes I judge the podcast based upon the amount of notes that I take just on my little notebook that I have next to me with my notes on it. And I have pages filled with some of the stuff that, that Josh was talking about. So, um, inspired me for sure. Uh, actually gave us some things that we can kind of use, um, in terms of our, 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 you know, mental makeup and, and the way that we want to go about doing things. And, uh, this was, uh, this was one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, it's really cool. And I just want to take a second to like, say like, how smart and how cool it is that you're always taking notes with our guests. You know, I try and do the same, but I I don't always like, you know, sometimes I want to take notes and I get too into the conversation, but it's just something that I notice that successful people do and, and intelligent people always taking notes, always learning from everyone else, always taking the best parts of other people, which Josh talked about on the podcast. And I definitely try and do that, but I definitely need to write things down more like Ricky Mendez to Ricky Mendez told us one of our other really, really well received podcasts that we've done from a, from a mental and success implementation coach we had on, um, you know, and that, that brings me to think about, we had my triple a team, the U 16 blues, we had a, a panel come in a few weeks ago during our, our team training camp and we started up our first practices and we had an agent from Wa Sports Group or a family advisor slash agent, Jeff Boston, unbelievable guy. Uh, we have Michael Hunterbrinker, one of the guys I train who played in the AHL on the East Coast last year. Um, Cole McWard, who's playing in Tri-City in the USHL, who's already committed to Michigan. Um, and, and we had these guys come in and man, like Hunter Brinker told just some of the coolest things. And, and one of the things that he told the boys is he watches every game immediately when he gets home after. So it's like fresh in his mind and he takes notes 
and he writes things down that he calls triggers. So like, you know, we all have things where we come back to the bench, we're really pissed off and maybe that throws you off your game a little bit. So he literally goes through the game and writes down his notes on his game. Like this worked, this didn't work. You know, I did this at this time and I liked the, the outcome, yada, yada, yada. He always stars his triggers, like on a three on two, if a guy doesn't pass to him in this situation, he'll write that down and star it. And that's a trigger that makes him mad. So the next time in a game that that comes up, he doesn't get upset about it because he knows it's a trigger. He can immediately do something to negate him getting off of his game and then go back at it and just be ready to go the next shift dialed in. I thought that was so smart and so cool. And Yes, two nights ago, one of my 16s players who was in that meeting came up to me, brought his notebook. We were working on goal setting together and I'm looking at his notebook and he's telling me, he's like, oh yeah, I did what Hunter Brinker told me. I'm writing this down. I'm writing that down. We're setting goals together. He's writing them down. I just think it's so important to write down your thoughts, write down things. I just thought it was really cool. And it was really cool that a guy who's still playing his pro career takes time out of his day to teach the next generation, like what they should be doing, the right way to do things, next level thinking. I just really want to challenge anyone listening to this podcast to kind of think about that and reach out to guys who have played high levels or are currently playing high levels and just invite them to one of your practices. Just see if they'll come and give some, some pro tips, some information that can be regressed down to whatever level you're coaching. I think it'll help everyone. And, just really cool that he did that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that goes for coaches too, and um, writing stuff down. And when I when I was a graduate assistant at Miami, we had uh, kind of a leadership consultant that worked with our team, a guy named Don DePaulo, uh, who did amazing things. And uh, I kind of asked him at the beginning of the year, it was my first year into coaching, leadership type stuff, and I said, "Hey, you got any advice for me?" And he said, "Write everything down." write everything down, every meeting, every conversation, not every conversation you have with players, but like every meeting you have with players, every meeting where the coaches are, are talking hockey or talking players, you know, all that kind of stuff, just write it down, document it. And he's like, it'll be gold for you in 10 years. And you can kind of see how you've progressed. You can see what was important to you, the things that you wrote down and stuff like that. And it's something I've tried to, tried to implement as Ricky Mendez says, tried to implement throughout my coaching careers, just make sure I've, I've written everything down. And I think, I I mean, studies have even shown that when you write things down, you retain it in your head um, as far as memory is concerned a lot more. Um, and I'm a little bit more of a visual learner, so having something to kind of look at is is nice. So, yeah, I agree. I think writing things down is, is cool. I, I try to do it during the podcast and stuff because the people that we bring on, there, there's just such a wealth of knowledge and bring such a different perspective. Like we can even talk about the same things in episode A and B, but it'll be from a completely different perspective and we can learn something from it. So, um, yeah, I love it. I love to take notes. I think it's something that's really important. Very cool. Very cool. I like how you said, uh, you know, in ten, he said in 10 years, it'll be gold. I used to write down my pregame routine in my phone, like the whole day of a game. So like my entire game day, uh, you know, I'm somebody who's, you know, there's guys who are loose. There's guys who kind of like to be regimented. I wasn't, um, you know, we've talked about this before my game day routine. I wasn't like, if this doesn't happen, then I'm going to play bad. But I did have a, 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 like a total like schedule on game day. Like I like to eat at this time. I like to sleep and wake up at this time only because I knew the outcome. I knew that if I did these things, more often than not, I'd feel prepared and I'd know that I did the right things to prepare. And so like I wrote that down every year, I'd tweak it, whatever. Well, now all the kids ask like, Vex, what should I be doing on game day? What did you do on game day? And if I wouldn't have wrote it down, I probably would not remember half the stuff <laughs> I did. 
but I have it in my phone and all I got to do is just hit that little square with the arrow button and just send it off and just text it to them <laughs> or group me or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Square arrow guy and, uh, send it off to them. And, and, and I'm happy that I wrote that down. So man, yeah, you're a smart man. I need to start writing more things down. Definitely. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's good. It's a good, I mean, it's good. It's good to have things written down for sure. And, uh, I, I'm a pen and paper guy to begin with. Like, I don't like putting things on my phone all the time. I, it's maybe it's just because that's kind of how we grew up. We grew up with pen and paper and not with technology. I just, I don't know. I kind of like the feel of it and just the way I, I don't even know, but it just makes me a little bit more comfortable. I, I definitely feel I retain information more when I physically write it down than when I type it into my phone. Like really? I, I total, I totally agree. Like there's no doubt in my mind that I retain information better by physically writing than, than put it in there. I wonder why, uh, I don't know why, but, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. One of the things I actually kind of like to do too, when I'm taking notes is I, I don't have like everything in a sequential order. So like sometimes I'll write like, let's say you have pages one through four, like I'll start off on page three and then the next day I'll do something and I'll put it on page two. And then the next day on like page, maybe the bottom of page three. And the reason why I do that is because like, if you just go one and then the next day two and then the next day three and then the next day four, you might not ever look at page ones, two and three again. But if they're, if they're like on a page, you know what I mean? So like if it's on a page that you're going back to and then maybe there's an idea that sparks another idea, I like to do that too. Just to, I don't know, just change things up and I go back and I'm looking at things that I wrote the day before instead of it probably never even happening again, if that makes any sense. Dude, I like that. Totally makes sense. Again, like we talked about with Josh, like kind of thinking outside the box, thinking differently, trying to push the envelope of growth. Very cool. Yeah. like that. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here to pump your tires, bro. <laughs> I like it. Well, hey, um, we talked about this yesterday, but there's something that I want to talk about uh, regarding this podcast that I am going to challenge myself and I'm going to compete right now. And it's really interesting. So another guy that we've had on the podcast, uh, Matt Calderoni, I'm actually going to hire him um, to be my business kind of personal coach here uh, for the next little while because I really want to get this thing off the ground and I want to freaking blow the hockey think tank up. I've decided to, that this is going to be my passion for the time being. And uh, this podcast is something that's really important to me and I want to I blow it out of the water. I absolutely want to blow this out of the water. And I think our messages of positivity and hockey and all the things that we're doing, I think would be so useful and would be such a good thing to get into as many cars that parents and kids and coaches are driving to practice as we can. Um, so one of the things in talking to Matt a little bit uh, in our initial conversations is the one thing that I don't have from the business side that I remember having um, as a hockey player was that compete. Like, I don't know what it means to really compete in, uh, in business yet. And uh, so just kind of thinking about it, like, who would I compete against from a podcast standpoint? And the one, th- the, the one thing that I could think of because I listen to it too and I know a lot of other people do is, is Spit and Chicklets. And I want this podcast to be as popular as Spit and Chicklets um, because it has such a wide range. And, and I actually went and I did a little bit of research the other night about where they are kind of with their numbers and stuff and where I would love to be. And so they got a two-year head start on us. Right, so they started uh, almost two years uh, before we did, and now they have obviously a huge following and stuff like that. And in terms of their ratings on iTunes, they have over ten thousand. I want to get to ten thousand in two years. 
I want 10,000 ratings on iTunes and, and I want to have that impact on, on the hockey world where I feel like our messages are getting to people and, and we're adding some positivity and, and education and inspiration, which is what it's all about. So I want to be the spit and chicklets, the next spit and chicklets in the hockey world when it comes to podcasts. And uh, so for everybody that's out there, if you can, help us out and uh, share us, uh, give us a rating on iTunes or on your Apple Podcasts on your phone or wherever you're getting your podcasts. Uh, give us a review so we can figure out what we can do better to make this podcast even better and more applicable to more people. Uh, if you can, like take a picture of it on your phone and share it on your social media. Um, share it with your Facebook friends. Share it with uh, your parent groups or, or your Snapchat groups if you're kids uh, and stuff like that. If you're heads of organizations, send it out to your organizations. Like we want to we wanna get this out to everybody. We want the messages of our of our guests to get out to everybody because we, we are educated and inspired every time like we talked about with the notes with the people that we we bring on here. So we want to, we want to blow this thing out of the water. I want to compete with spit and chicklets. So if you can help us to get there, all of our listeners, uh, thank you. <laughs> End rant. I, lo- I love it, man. Listeners, Toph and I are so passionate about trying to help you guys. You know, Toph, I'd say had a lot, not, I don't want to say a lot better coaches, but definitely a better infrastructure in Chicago growing up because they had a big, a much bigger hockey population. Um, you know, and still the information wasn't accessible like it is now. We're trying to help you guys with every every possible way we can. Toaf does so much for absolutely free most of the time. I mean, sooner or later, you got to start making money on this. You spend <laughs> so much time. But like, we just try and help you guys in ways that the things that we didn't know as a kid or the things that we see that are going on right now that probably aren't going to help you or things that we know will help you. We're just trying to help the hockey community be better, you know, emotionally stronger, physically stronger, mentally stronger. Like the more you share us, the more we can do, the better guests we can get. The more people that you share us with, the better, the more people hear us, the more people say, Hey, well, I know this guy and we think he could help your listeners. I mean, that's how we get a lot of referrals for people to come on the podcast. People hear it and they want to come on and ask us, or, Hey, I know such and so, and he'd be really good on your podcast. He could help a lot of people. So the more people that hear us, the more people that share us, we get better guests on, we can make you all better. So I take toast challenge. Let's start sharing this baby. Let's start retweeting it. Let's start doing buddy, buddy, buddy. Let's get it going. <laughs> I like Fired it up now. Tell I know. Well, it's funny because uh, like what we lived for in playing hockey was to compete. Like we wanted to win. We wanted at the end of the day to be holding that championship trophy. That's what we all play for. And if from a life standpoint and a business standpoint, I don't really understand what that means yet. And then I feel like that's missing a little bit out of, out of my identity. Um, but just in talking and like thinking about it and how I can find a way to compete because I absolutely love to compete. I love to win. It's, it, it drives me. And, uh, so to, to kind of take this as a challenge to, to kind of get to spit and chicklets, uh, category, obviously very different podcasts <laughs> in different ways, but, um, that's what, that's what we're aiming for. They got a two year head start on us. So we want to try and get there. Um, and, uh, we would appreciate any kind of help that we can get from our listeners if you like what we're doing. So, um, thank you very much much for tuning in to everybody that already has you guys are going to absolutely love this one with josh paul such an inspiring guy and uh, without further ado let's bring it on over to spudsy the man josh pauls we are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast the captain 
of the USA Olympic gold medal winning Paralympic team, Josh Pauls. Josh, how are we doing today, man? Oh, it's a beautiful day in St. Louis, a little hot, but I'm just glad to be here. <laughs> That's good. Well, we're glad that you're here, and uh, you have such an awesome story, and uh, we've actually been trying to get you on the podcast here for quite some time, but uh, uh, as we'll talk about a little bit later on the podcast, there's a reason why you're coming on right now. you got some exciting things ahead for you, but uh, you know, we want to kind of ask you about your journey first. Uh, it's such an unbelievable hockey career that's still going. Um, you know, three-time gold medal Paralympics, uh, world champion, um, doing amazing things outside of the hockey world as well. But let's take it way back to your upbringing. You grew up in New Jersey, the Dirty Jers. Talk to us a little bit about uh, how you got into hockey and, and your childhood growing up in, in uh, New Jersey. Yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty uh, pretty normal, I guess, for somebody that was born without legs. So um, <laughs> to me, it's something normal. But um, but I remember like my first real vivid hockey memories. My dad was watching a Devils game on TV. And I remember looking at it, I kind of just was like, hey, what's that? And he was like, oh, it's hockey and started trying to explain to me the rules. And of course, I had no idea. I thought icing was something you threw on a cake. But then we kind of got into it. And uh, I just fell in love with it. So I started playing shinny in the house. And um, you know, you had those, those foam balls. I'd love to, I wanted to play goalie so bad until I realized what it actually entailed just cause I love the designs of the equipment. But, uh, then I started, I found sled hockey I actually went out to a, a game because I'll tell you sled hockey players are some of the best con artists you're ever going to meet because what we do <laughs> is we take a team, an able-bodied hockey team, we put them in sleds, we play against them. They probably have no idea what they're doing because they've never played sled hockey before. We beat them, and then chances are most of the time they're giving us uh, some money for our, our organization. So we get to we get the win, we get the lots of goals, and we get the money all at the same time. So I went and watched one of those games, and I tried it, and the team was just too far away. And so I couldn't really play with that team, and then a team opened up, uh, right near me in Woodbridge, New Jersey, the Woodbridge Warriors. And that's kind of where I got my start and where I started really playing hockey competitively. Well, hey, that, I mean, that's really cool. And, and uh, I wanted to ask you, because I think it's really interesting, um, you know, sled hockey, I feel like is becoming a little bit more mainstream now. I feel like people are starting to understand what it is. I feel like people are starting to pay attention to it a little bit more. Um, have you found that, you know, obviously as a player and one of the top sled hockey players in the world, have you found the support for sled hockey, um, you know, being a little bit better than when you started? Oh, a hundred percent. It's really, it's gone from when I was younger, it was just we're just happy to have you guys out on the ice. It's really cool to see you out there being able to play hockey in whatever way you're able to, to now we're considered elite athletes. And I think the turning point really came during the Sochi year. We went out to the Paralympics in Russia and we played Russia in the gold medal game. And we were set to be tape delayed on NBC sports. But what happened was we had gotten such great ratings. They threw us on NBC at like 11 or noon on a Saturday or Sunday, no our gold medal game that we won, won nothing against Russia. And that was like the real turning point from when I went from people going, what's sled hockey to, oh my God, I saw your game. It was so cool. Where can I go watch more of it? That's cool. And I even see it like in the rinks that are being built uh, because you guys obviously need a certain type of boards at the benches where you can kind of see through it that that plastic, uh, you know, little sliver that you have there. And I feel like more and more newer rinks are incorporating those boards. And do you see that kind of as well? 
Yeah, I mean, it's so much bigger just to have that accessibility. I know in Canada, I don't think a new rink can be built without sled accessibility on at least one rink. Oh, wow. And so it's getting bigger in the U.S. Um, I know the new St. Louis, or the Centene Community Ice Center in St. Louis, they're, they have uh, adaptive boards in one of the rinks that's it's sled hockey ready all the time. And the other two rinks can be converted. So most for like national team games, you have to take the boards out of the bench you put in the plexiglass so we can see outside of it. You lower the uh, the bench to the ice level so we can skate on and off of it. And then we're able to, to make normal line changes. But uh, real quick, funny story. We played in uh, Nagano, Japan one year. Well, actually, we played there like three years in a row. And they didn't end up lowering the bench to the ice. And so our line changes, normally we do one door for forwards, one door for defense. We had to totally change the way we did it because we had one door for out and one door for in. So to get on the ice, you jump down like four or five inches onto the ice. And then to get into the bench, you'd our equipment guy had a wooden ramp attached to a string that he'd throw out by the door, open the door, you'd ramp up into the bench, and then he'd pull in the the ramp and then close the door again. One time a guy missed it. And instead of taking a too many men on the ice call, he just yanked the guy from like sled first into the bench. <laughs> That's incredible. That's crazy. Like, well, so for the, uh, so, just real quick, Jeff, just, I think to get something out of the way first, like there might be some people that are listening to the podcast that act, that have never seen a sled hockey game or don't really know what it is. So if you can, and just maybe even like a 30 second elevator pitch, just kind of explain to our listeners a little bit about kind of how it works, you know, how you quote unquote skate around the ice, uh, the kind of equipment that you use. Um, Cause I think that'd be a really good precursor for some of the listeners that don't really know much about the sport. Yeah, so it's basically a combination of hockey, Nordic skiing or cross-country skiing and bumper cars. So (laughs) it's specifically for anybody with uh, a physical disability below the waist. And so we sit on a metal frame that has two skate blades underneath it. And then there's a bucket seat. Um, And then instead of one stick, we have two, but they're shortened. They're about uh, two, three feet in length each. And they're both curved. They're both custom made. And then you have metal teeth called picks at the end of them. And so basically we use our arms as our arms and our legs. So we're using them to skate and we're using them to handle the puck at the same time. Um, And I mean, the rules are the same. The dimensions of the rink are the same. Like the poor goalies, they have to defend a huge net from even though they're sitting down more or less. And so like for the goalies, their blades are actually plastic so they can slide side to side and cover those cross ice passes. And then they have a uh, like most of our guys use a track spike, the sole of a track spike. They glue it onto the back of their glove and then they're able to push off and use their glove and one stick as opposed to two. And that's my quick elevator pitch. But yeah, most of the rules are the same. It's full check. I get so many people that ask if we can hit each other. And of course we can hit each other. Um, it's That's probably one of my favorite parts, even though I'm not the best at it. I'm more of a hit and pin kind of guy than a hit to demolish. Like a Nicholas Cronwall who just uh, retired. He was the man. Yeah. <laughs> when you guys line change, do you always go out one door and in the other? Like, is that... Is that how it goes or like, you know what I mean? I feel like it could, you have a backup. If you're, Is it one door in, one door out? Like, is there a system you guys have to changing? 
So when we were in Nagano, when we had to use those doors, um, most of the time we did one one door in, one door out. Uh, I know Canada uses that system. We use a forward and a defense door. So basically they open the door, you let the guys out of the bench first, and then you skate in. So there are times where like you're sitting on the side of the ice to give time for the guys to come out onto the ice, but uh, most of the time the puck's not anywhere near us, so we're not in danger of taking a too-many-minute on the ice call. So is that still uh... – too many men on the ice call like say you're going for a change you don't see the pucks coming you're waiting as the guy's coming out and if it hits your sled is that too many men like how does that work so i think it's referee's discretion i'm gonna be completely honest even though i have to talk to the refs all the time i haven't read the rule book um but (laughs) i think i really think it's referee's discretion i think if it hits off up my blades and i don't like make a play to the puck i don't think they're gonna call it but I try like you got to have that awareness on the ice, just like any other hockey player, to make sure that you know, hey, the puck's coming by me. Maybe I have to slide off the boards a foot so that it can skate, it can kind of scoot behind me, and then I can get off and make sure that we're not going to take that call. Yeah, so that's that's really cool. But I, I kind of want to talk about your journey because your journey is really interesting, and uh, you know, in doing some research on you and and uh, reading some articles and stuff, there was one story that you talk about when you're motivational speaking, um, and it's a story from when you were about five years old, and and uh, you were. Um, it was hard for you to even walk down the stairs and it was kind of like a life lesson for you to try and figure, kind of figure something out at that young of an age, but it was something that you obviously remember if you talk about it. Um, so if you can just kind of share with us the, that story and, and how it's kind of shaped some of your views on, on how you go about life today. Yeah. I mean, so when I was younger, um, I mean, I learned how to walk in prosthetics my whole life. So I, I don't know anything different. But when I was younger and I was about five, I got legs that actually had knees on them. And so I could actually bend them because before you kind of progress from like a short leg so that um, I have a low center of gravity, I can learn basically learn how to walk like a toddler. And then I progress to taller legs that have a foot on them, but the knee doesn't bend because a bending knee means I'm more prone to falling. And then eventually you progress to knees that actually can bend. But the only problem is it's just a, a mechanical hinge. So anytime I like place my weight anywhere else, um, the knee would kind of buckle. And so I had to be real cognizant of like where I was standing, where I was placing my weight. I had to mostly keep my weight on my toes rather than my heels just so it didn't actually accidentally buckle. And so that prevented me from being able to go down step over step like most people do. So I had to kind of figure out a way because I mean, I'll, I'll let you guys know I'm pretty lazy. So if the ramp, if the stairs are right here and the ramps like 10 feet away, I'm not going taking the ramp. I'm going to use the stairs because I don't feel like walking 10 feet out of my way just to use a <laughs> ramp. And so I had to figure out a way how to how to actually get downstairs. And I figured it out like you just got to go down backwards because by then I can keep most of my weight on my arms and I can control where I'm going. I don't have to worry about my knee buckling because I'm always on my toes when I'm going down backwards. And that's kind of how I learned how to go downstairs. And, of course, now that's totally thrown out of the – out of the conversation because I have knees with computer chips and microprocessors and gyroscopes. I mean, I actually had to, it it was a big adjustment learning how to use these legs because I was, I was so used to not being able to trust them with any of my weight that now I can trust them so much. Like, I mean, they'll support me in pretty much anything. It's unreal. Tof. we were in the gym yesterday, we're working out and we doing an inverted row. I know you uh, probably don't even know what a gym is, let alone what an inverted row is, but is that a uh, shot at me? Basically the, 
Yeah, I'm talking to you, not Josh. I worked out with him yesterday. I know he knows it. Um, wow. A, an inverted row wow. is basically the inverse. <laughs> an inverted row is basically the inverse of a push-up. Okay, so you're pulling yourself up. Your body is uh, parallel to the ground, very similar to a push-up, but just flipped um, flipped the other way. So we're doing that, and after Josh is set, he sits down, and he hits this button on his knee, and his knee literally goes from like, you know, a normal leg straight toes up on his feet to like a 360 spin up and around over and down so that he could like move his legs a different way and then stand up. I was like, and I've seen him do this a hundred times, but every time he does, it is just so cool how much technology are in those legs. Like it is really, really cool. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. I, like I'm trying to show it to you. I know the people can't see this, but it's like going like this and he hits his button and it goes like whoop, around <laughs> and then he turns his body and then he pushes up like, man, it's, and we were talking about him yesterday. I'm like, whoever designed his legs are like, he's obviously an absolute genius. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And well, that's not even part of the leg. It's like an extra little piece that ro- makes the knee rotate around the axis and so mostly it's used for like putting on shoes while I still have my legs on. Cause when I was a kid, I used to have to, if I wanted to change shoes, I'd have to take my legs off, take my shoe off, put it back on. Cause I couldn't physically like bend down and I can't, couldn't just like pop my knee up, my foot up on like my other knee. Like most people do now. I mean, it's a simple twist of a button. Yeah. Okay. I use it as a drink coaster sometimes and I have a lot of party tricks, but the real <laughs> like practical thing that I can use it for is, is putting on shoes. Man, it's, uh, it's, that's, that's pretty cool, man. That's really cool. And, uh, I, I can't even imagine, you know, having legs my entire life, just having to figure all that stuff out. I mean, that's, that's crazy. (laughs) See, but it's not that different from what you had to learn when you were, when you were growing up. It's the same thing. It's just a different way of doing it. I mean, this is all I ever know. I couldn't tell you what it's like to have knees. I mean, I smack my foot on stuff all the time that I don't care about because it doesn't hurt. So I can jam it on a coffee table. Everybody's like, Oh, are you okay? Like, and I'm like, yeah, it's fine. It's just a, just a leg, you know, (laughs) do some of your teammates that are on the U S team or guys you played with in the past, um, were they born with legs and then had an accident or in the military or something? And, and do you talk to them about that stuff? And, and, and how different is it for someone that's coming from that position as opposed to you? Like you just said, it's totally normal for you. You learned everything the same way we did just with different type of legs. Like, is it different? And do you talk about it with those guys? Yeah, we talk about it a little bit. I mean, we have guys from all different walks of life. So we have some that were birth defects like me. Um, We have some guys that have survived cancer in their knees. Um, We have guys that served in the military, had legs blown off. And uh, one guy, Rico Roman, he had he got blown up in a Humvee. And I'm paraphrasing because he can tell you the story way better than I can. Uh, But he went to the hospital and they had all these pins in his one leg and it was just, it was always going to be straight. It was going to be stuck out. He wouldn't be able to really use it. And he's like, what's the other option? They're like, we can cut it off. And he's like, well, if I'll be able to walk, like we might as well do that. And I mean, now these guys get around really well and you'd never think that cutting a leg off would be a good, would give you a better quality of life. But that's kind of where I started with as well, that my parents had to make the decision because I had a small shin bone. I had the fibula, but I was missing the tibia bone in the shin, which gave 
gives you your weight bearing. And so basically it's either the difference of me being able to walk around, do most anything as opposed, I mean, okay, I don't run around a track unless like somebody's chasing me or there's a donut in front of me, but <laughs> it's the difference between that or, um, or being in a wheelchair and breaking my leg every time I put a little bit of weight on it. So you'd never think, I mean, it's like you say, Toph, it's always about perspective and there's always a, a good perspective and a bad perspective. And, you know, just like going down the stairs, I don't look at it as a challenge. I look at it as a problem to be solved. And that's kind of how I play hockey too. Everything's a, a problem to be solved. And I always have a purpose in everything I do, whether it's making a pass, taking a shot, like some of my shots, I have no intention of scoring. Sometimes it's putting it off the goalie's blocker, like a far pad shot and stand up so that I can get it over to the guy that's driving the net. Like everything you do, you have to have a reason for it. Wow. That is Awesome. That's some great advice for everyone listening. This guy's a motivational speaker. Hire him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Hire him. I've heard, I've heard of him a couple times and he is money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's really cool, man. And we'll get into that in a little bit, but I'm, I'm a little bit more fascinated in um, kind of just not necessarily how you fell in love with the game, but your journey to get to where you are because you were the, uh, I believe you were the youngest ever player to play on a gold medal winning Paralympic team. You played on the team when you were 16 years old. Um, and actually there's a story to go with that. Cause I believe you were cut first and then you got called back. So, um, if you can just kind of tell us about that story and, and just your, your progression from when you fell in love with it, to you know, when it became really serious for you and a passion. Yeah. So, I mean, I started, like I said, I started playing in Woodbridge uh, in New Jersey and I kind of gotten to the point where I was doing pretty good and I ended up uh, getting invited to a USA hockey development camp. So they have a, a sled select camp, just like they have it for the 15, 16s. And so I tried, I went and played, tried out for the junior national team. I was probably one of the worst there. And then I figured out like, Hey, I can, I, like, I got invited to this camp for a reason. I could probably make something of myself, but I still wasn't like super serious into training and things. And so I kind of just, uh, was like, yeah, I'll get better. It's a whole another year development. And I came back and I was one of the better players at camp. And, um, I ended up playing on the junior national team the next year. And then the year after that, that would be Oh eight. Um, I didn't try out for the national team and, uh, I got a call from the GM and he was like, Hey, uh, we want you to we're going to invite you to our first camp since you didn't try out. We just want to see how you fit in with some of the guys. And so in 08, 09, I basically, I, I basically played on the national team and junior team. Cause I was mostly on the junior team, but I went up to some camps from the national team. I didn't play a whole lot. Um, but I was lucky enough to go to the world championships, uh, in 2009 in Ostrava, Czech Republic. And we ended up beating Canada in a shootout in the semifinal and we beat Norway. Our captain, Andy Yoey scored right off a face off with 11 seconds left in the game uh, to win one, nothing. And that was our first ever world championship. And I had the best seat in the house cause I was sitting on the bench for 99% of everything. <laughs> but Perspective. It was still such a great experience. I mean, I was 15, 16 years old. Like, I had no idea what was going on. I mean, I was just a kid, right? And so the next year, I come in pretty pretty ready for tryouts in July. And the coach calls me in and he says, hey, like, we're just not going to take it this year. There's guys that are bigger, stronger, faster, more experienced. Like, 
we want you to go back down to the junior nationally. We want you to, to be a leader on there, but we don't want you to just stop working and say, oh, well, I'll wait till after the Paralympics. Because that's like, especially when it was a lot smaller of a sport, the Paralympics were the absolute pinnacle. Like we draw a couple hundred people for world championships, but the Paralympics, we knew we'd be playing in front of four or five, 6,000 people. And so that was everybody's goal. And I remember driving back uh, from Rochester, New York, where tryouts were to New Jersey. My dad just said, well, if you don't like what happened, just go prove them wrong. Work work hard enough and make sure that you're able to, to go to the coaches and say, you made the wrong decision. And not by saying anything to them, but by proving it and showing it on the ice. And so I ended up being an alternate captain for the junior national team that year. Um, it only lasted a couple months because uh, obviously they liked my work ethic. I got back onto the team in November for a tournament. And I, when I got that call, I was just running around the house. I was so excited. And so I ended up uh, surviving four more cuts. Uh, we had four other guys that were older than me that were more experienced, but I filled that one role. And I had grown up being a defenseman. And they wanted me to be a forward. I had no idea what I was doing as a, a winger. But, and I always kind of sat there and thought, well, it's just temporary. I'm just going to play. And, uh, but ultimately, I wanted to be a defenseman. And I guess that was my ego kind of getting in the way. But uh, I remember sitting on the bench just before they made those cuts. And I was sitting there talking to one of my teammates, Taylor Lipset. And I said, yeah, I just really want to play D. I mean, I was kind of looking back to all those guys that were playing because we only had 15 spots on the team. So there were only four defensemen. There was no way I was cracking that. And he looked at me and said, well, that's great if you want to play defense. But the ticket to Vancouver is as a forward. And whatever that was, it was a short, like five words, right? But it totally changed my mindset from, I want to be a defenseman to, well, I don't know how to play forward, but I'm going to do my best and I'm going to give it everything I can. I'll forecheck like crazy. I'll make sure I'm doing the things that I need to do. I could care less. I'm getting to go to the Paralympics and I made it from not be, from being cut, not even being on the team to now I'm going to the Paralympics. And then we ended up winning all five games we played, didn't allow a single goal. And I was the youngest member on the team until Sochi. Uh, we had a couple younger guys on that team that year that beat my record. But yeah, it was a, it was an absolute blast. And it, it really kind of set the, the bar for where my work ethic needed to be in order for me to be a successful player. That's awesome, man. And, uh, if you can just tell us about the moment when you got your gold medal and, uh, um, you know, the, the flag is going up and the national anthem is, is being sung. Um, how just ridiculous of a moment is that for you? Um, it's got to be unbelievable. I mean, I was still in high school at the time. So, like, I'm sitting here going, I'm doing something that nobody else in any of my classes are ever going <laughs> to believe, like, much less me. And just, I mean, we were, I mean, we got together when the national anthem played and we were singing so off key. But it didn't matter because like for that moment, we were 15, we were 15 brothers right there. Like that's all that mattered. We were just so pumped to be able to represent our country and to really represent, you know, everything that USA Hockey had put into resources and our families that had sacrificed. And, you know, for us, like all of our parents that at least for the younger guys that had to drive us to the rink every day. That's so cool. Oh, I'm in high school. Oh, yeah. You got that new fossil watch. Oh, here's my gold medal. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's so cool, man. Like I uh, that's one of my dreams is to like represent USA in any kind of hockey competition. I got really close once I was an alternate to go overseas, but I uh, was never able to do it. And you're a proud American guy. Like how how like how cool is that? That had to have been unbelievable. 
I mean, it's fun and it, it, it's just such an honor uh, to be able to to say I'm one of the top 15, 17 guys in the nation to, to be able to represent. And, you know, we've gotten to the point where it's not just the 17 best hockey players, it's the 17 best hockey players that are, that are also great people because we're at the point now in that maybe we weren't eight, 10 years ago where we don't need to take bad character guys just to fill out a roster and be able to have that like talent to win a gold medal. Now, you know what, if you don't want to buy into the team system sucks, you're just not going to play. We'll find somebody that wants to work harder. That's going to be a better person. And we're going to win a gold medal no matter what. I love that. Two things. A, Tove, you should have been on that team. And D, or B, like the guy says in Home Alone, um, <laughs> something I think youth coaches need to think about is exactly what Josh just said. Like, think about the character of the kids you're taking on your team. Think about the work ethic. Um, at least here in St. Louis, I personally would rather have them take in-town kids that weren't as good than take out-of-town kids that are trying to leave another program. Um, I just would rather see... Coaches take people that are going to work hard and are good kids and can work with that because your team's going to be better. You're going to build the camaraderie. Like everything just makes more sense when you take a good person and someone is going to work hard than maybe today that one kid is better than the other one. But what's it going to be like in a month? in two months, in a year, in three years, you know, take those kids who are, who are maybe one B as opposed to one a that, you know, are going to work hard, that, you know, are going to show up to team workouts that, you know, want and are good teammates, good people. Obviously I'm talking at the higher levels when it comes to tryouts, double a triple a things like that. But it's just something I think coaches need to kind of also take into consideration, not just immediately what's on the ice today. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I know of high-level coaches, you know, like between NHL scouts and, and NCAA coaches and even youth coaches, but I've had conversations with people, and one of their main things for taking a kid or not taking a kid is, do I want to be around this person for 365 days in a year, you know, or however many days it is? Like, am I going to go to the rink and be happy that I get to see this person? Because if not, like, I, I'm not going to do that to myself. Like if I'm going to constantly worry about this person, if I'm going to constantly f- try to have to try to figure out how to get them to work hard, like that's just taking away from my enjoyment of what I love to do. And so I, I think that there's a lot of validity to what you're talking about. And uh, I think that's true for all levels too. And for youth coaches, like if I'm a youth coach and there's a nutty parent, like you hate, you hate to say that like, um, you want to punish a kid for a mom and a dad, but if that mom or dad is going to like totally affect your experience and your mental health and well being, <laughs> like you're going to think once or twice about taking that person because that's something that you do have to deal with. It's black and white. So yeah, the, the character of the people that you're surrounding yourself with. And that's what we talk about all the, all the time. And Spudsy, I think that's just such an unbelievable message that you said in, in the way that you, and you guys have won three gold medals with maybe not the most talented roster, um, but the right roster of the right people and the right mix that created a great culture. And I think that's just uh, it is, it's an awesome lesson for any coach and even kid and parent to, to hear. Yeah. I mean, so even to, to expound on that point, um, in Pyeongchang, we went there with uh, 17 guys and we got up to the semifinal. And at the end, we ended up having to send two of our best defensemen home before the gold medal game. Um, there were just some stuff that had to, they had to leave. Uh, they were forced out. And um, really what happened was, I mean, our coaches were nervous. We were kind of nervous. They were two of our top defensemen, hands down. And, um, so we were going into the gold medal game against Canada, who's a powerhouse in the sport without two of our best guys. 
And so it's, it's a tough thing to do, but I remember going up to the coaches cause I was captain at the time. And I said like, Hey, whatever, whatever happened with them, like we didn't have a whole lot of information, whatever happened with them. I don't care. We have a gold medal game to win. Keep it short, keep it simple. Let's just focus on the game because it was a noon game. It was actually a good thing. We had an early game so that we didn't have a whole lot of time to kind of sit around and think, but it was just, we got to go out and we got to play. And yeah, we went down one, nothing within the first 10 minutes of the game, but we ended up, uh, having a, well, we ended up pulling the goalie, a Canadian came down the ice and all this is on YouTube for anybody that wants to see this. That's a gold medal game in Pyeongchang. One of the Canadian guys came down on a semi breakaway, hits the post on the empty net. We go back down and score with 37 seconds left to tie the game. And then we end up winning uh, three minutes into overtime. And we did that with our 15 best character guys on that team that year, because we, we felt to, we, all of a sudden, the locker room changed. We had guys that were going to willing to battle for each other. We would have blocked shots. We would have done anything for any of those guys on that team. And you know, I I don't want to throw those two up two guys that got sent home under the bus. But man, like the way we were able to do that and come back without two of our best players because we had that camaraderie. We had built that throughout the whole season, and we knew that. We had to do it for those guys, but we also had to do it for everybody who was there, that everybody that had supported us and put resources into our team, like we needed to go win that gold medal to show everybody, you know what, you don't always need the best 15 guys on the ice. You need the best guys that are going to compete for each other because that's how you win hockey games. Yeah, you win by scoring, and it doesn't hurt that we have Declan Farmer, the best player in the world, hands down in sled hockey. But when you're able to give him an avenue to to let his talent show and to battle for him, then that's how you win hockey games. I mean, Toph and I talk about it all the time and we haven't, we haven't talked about it much lately. Uh, but like, you know, those energy vampires that Toph and I call them in the locker room, you get one of those guys, one turns into two very quickly. And then two, two turns into four, four turns into half the team. So if I'm a coach, especially one being paid, the last thing I want is a guy with bad character or one who's going to question my authority or my systems or whatever. Um, you, you know, you just, you, you gotta be a good teammate. You gotta be about the boys. You gotta be there to help everyone and to always be consistently trying to grow as a player and a person. One energy vampire turns into a whole team of them very quickly. Yeah, man. Energy is contagious, positive energy and negative energy. It's extremely, extremely contagious and it's contagious for everybody, whether you're the coach, whether you're the star player. I think it's, it's probably a little bit elevated if you're the coach or, or the star player, but uh, you know, anybody can suck the energy out of a room or anybody can bring unbelievably important positive energy into a room too. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you a couple of stories about a couple of quick coaches I had. I mean, when I first joined the national team, we ended up having a coach and he, sometimes at the end of games that we won, he'd come in and say, he'd call out a guy and say, Hey, who do you think the worst player was today? Yikes. And yeah. Right. And towards the end of that end of his tenure, I started thinking like, how much fun is this? Do I really want to keep playing? Like, yeah, I'm 19 years old, but like, this isn't fun anymore. And we had coach Sauer. So Jeff Sauer, he coached at uh, Colorado college, university of Wisconsin, won a national championship there. Uh, he coached the deaf Olympic team as well. He came in and his trademark phrase was there's no fun in hockey. And he said it with a huge grin on his face and he just loved the game. You could tell he was being totally sarcastic, <laughs> but he just, he, his energy was contagious. We fed off of it. He just, I mean, he was 
darn close to 70 years old by the time he joined us. And he he still loved being at the rink more than any of us. And that's saying something. We love being at the rink, but he made it fun. Like he made hockey fun again. Like there would be times he'd start practice. He'd take two pucks or two tennis balls. He'd say, okay, these two colors versus these two colors. That was our warm up. We didn't have a, okay, do a lap or go shoot around or let's work a drill. It was just seven on eight go play a quick game. And that's how we're going to warm up today. Like that was the most fun I've ever had playing hockey. And our new coach, David Hoff has really taken that over. I mean, you can just, you can tell how excited and passionate he is every time he talks and he could say like, let's go get him," just like that in that same tone of voice. But the passion he throws into his voice, I'd run through a brick wall for him. Like I'd do anything for that guy. Cause you can tell like, he's just, he, he's doing his best to like hold it in so that he can, he's like, the professional coach, but man, he just, he loves the game so much. And so much of what we've done the past two, the past year, he was a coach. It's all been battling drills in small areas and fighting, uh, battling against each other one-on-one. Cause you know, when you're able to battle in practice and when practices are tougher than games, that's how you're successful. Cause I want to hate my life in practice, just like working in the Jeff in the gym with you, Jeff, like I don't want to enjoy workouts. Like, yeah, we're going to joke around. We're going to have fun. But if I get, like I told you on push day, um, which is half of the workout I do because I don't really do lower body, I struggle <laughs> getting onto the couch after push day because it's all triceps, it's all chest. And that's how I lift myself up onto the couch at the end of the day when my legs are off. And I love that feeling of I can hardly get on the couch. That's how I knew I had a good workout because it's not about how I'm feeling now. It's how I'm going to feel at the end of the season when it matters, when it's, when I've been playing in Pyeongchang, I played like 33 minutes out of a 48 minute game. It was something stupid like that, but it was one of those, like I'm preparing myself for this moment, that moment. I'm not preparing myself for tomorrow when I'm going to feel sore. I could care less. I don't like being sore. I don't think anybody does, but that's what elite players have to do, right? You have to prepare yourself every day so that the end result is where you want. That's awesome. Amen. And for all the listeners here, if you get a chance to ever see Spudzy in person, um, holy crap, jacked out of your mind. Your upper body is the biggest upper body I've ever seen in my entire life. Sorry, Jeff, that, that might be a shot to your ego. I don't know, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy. But actually, I, I want to ask you a story because uh, your nickname is Spudzy. And uh, it's, I heard it's a pretty interesting reason why so what like what what had the nickname come about so it was my first year on the team when i was kind of bouncing around it was at world championships so we we do this group warm-up before uh every game before we actually get on the ice for warm-ups and we kind of huddled up together and the trainer put his hand on my head and said oh kind of feels like a potato and uh so that kind of started it and then the next year when I made it back just before the 2010 Paralympics, um, uh, one of our guys, we had a gift exchange for the holidays and he got me a Mr. Potato head. (laughs) And so I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but I'm going to make something out of it. So that was my superstition for the longest time until I had to retire him because he was missing like arms, legs and all kinds of different pieces. It actually worked out pretty well. I'm missing my legs. He was missing his arms. So we kind of, it worked out, but, um, (laughs) I'd face him towards the opponent's locker room every game. And once we got our, our team doctor, uh, Mike Eline, he's the most like happy, genuine person. Like you'd think he's being fake with how like always genuinely excited he is, but that's just how he is every day. 
And I'd like during the Paralympics, I'd send him like, Hey, you need to find out where Norway's locker room is. I need to make sure. And he'd like come in and turn it like to the exact like millimeter, just cause he's really precise. Like that's why you want him as your team doctor. But, um, but yeah, those are like the fun moments of when it using that superstition. And that's kind of how I used to get ready for games. Now I've changed it up a little bit. It's unreal. What's different now? Huh? Jeff? What's different now? Your preseason or pregame routine? Well, you taught me to do some hand-eye stuff. So normally I do a little juggling. Um, then I tape my sticks. I usually try to go out to like our bench. Um, so I tape my sticks and then I kind of just visualize different moments on the ice. I'm really big into that. And then I'll kind of come sit in uh, in the locker room. I'll throw my whatever Under Armour thing I'm using uh, for that game. I'll throw it over my head and really, really visualize like different things I need to do. So they mostly little things. I, I'm not – I'll score goals. I'll make good – passes to like different things but i want to focus on hitting and pinning a guy um you know making good breakout passes retrieving pucks little things like that that i know i need to do to be successful because i've done i've had good years bad years and so i want to focus on the little things because it's the little things that make the big things happen and so i've gotten a lot more i guess professional if you want to call it in my pregame routine because i want to warm up my body but i also need to make sure i can visualize and get my mind ready as well that's awesome, man. No, I think visualization is uh, is such an important thing, and there's so much science even behind it now. It's something in the sports, you know, sports psychology, sports studies world that's uh, that's huge, and seeing yourself being successful. And I think it's really interesting to hear you talk about how you visualize the little things, because I feel like most people, when they think about visualization, they're thinking about, like you said, scoring a goal or getting an assist or making the big save or whatever. Um, actually, one of the things that I used to do before my games is I was always the uh, the guy that we like used to, it used to be an overload power play. Now it's a one three one pretty much. But I was the guy that was mm-hmm. in the corner feeding passes. So I would actually go to the side of the rink that I would be at on the offensive zone twice a game. I would sit in that spot like seven or eight rows up, and I just picture myself getting a pass from Matt Molson, giving it back, getting a pass from somebody, giving it to the, you know, the backdoor guy, getting it to the guy that's in the slot. And uh, I always felt that it just, for whatever muscle memory or whatever it's called, like it just, it helps so much. And there's a lot of science to back that up now too. That's cool. I mean, that's the thing though. Like I want to be comfortable in a hockey game, right? That's why we practice hard. That's why we do everything we do. That's why we work out so that come game time, everything is easy. And by visualizing what I want to do and the things that I need to do to be successful, it's like I've already been in that situation. I mean, that's why they say that you need all the experience and experienced players are better because you've lived it. You know what to do. If you can visualize it, that's just adding that to that experience. That's awesome. I love both of that. And I used to do the same thing, you know, from juniors on, but I never sat in a specific spot in the rink. I mean, I guess it'd be pretty hard to when you're the plug standing in front on the power play to <laughs> somehow use this sit, sit in the crease and, and visualize. <laughs> but told, I love that for like a half wall guy, like sit right there on the rink and then just like look out at the ice and see you making those passes. Like, that's awesome. I really, really like that. Yeah. And it's not something that is, uh, it's something I feel like you have to, 
put as part of your routine, like you said, Spuzzy. Like if you do it like once in a while, it's not really going to do anything for you. Um, but if you make it a habit and you continue to do it, like let's say you just do it for two minutes before you go to bed every night or do it before every practice or whatever it may be, it can be a huge benefit. And like I said, like I you know, got my master's in sports studies and that was something that we learned a lot about, different ways to do it, um, the benefits of it. And uh, yeah, the mind, body, how it's all connected, it's, uh, it, it's a really interesting thing for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's... I'm more of a cerebral player, I th- I'd like to think. I mean, physically, yeah, I'm pretty fast most of the time, but I'm not the biggest guy out there. I'm not the one laying the big hits, like I said, and I'm probably not the most offensively gifted. But I like to think, if I can think ahead of everybody else on the ice, then I'm going to be one step ahead. And that's why I really take pride in things like gap control. Like, if I can gap up on you, like, I play defense because the way I play defense is I don't like to play defense. So if I can force you to get rid of the puck before you can, I can go retrieve it, get it up to my guy. I don't have to play defense. Even better. I I really enjoy playing offense just like anybody, right? Defense is hard work. I don't think it's that fun. I don't like not having the puck. But when I can force somebody to get chip a puck because I have really good gap and they have nowhere else to go with it, then we can go get it and I don't have to do anything anymore. Or, yeah, I have to get open for a pass, but I don't have to work as hard playing defense, bearing down on guys, controlling people in front of the net. I want to make my life easy on the ice. Man, that that thinking the step step ahead thing, I'm I'm all about that when I'm coaching guys. I love that, Spudsy. Like, yet you're still playing the same position. You're still doing the same thing. But instead of you thinking, like, I got to play defense, yada, yada, you're thinking from a defensive standpoint, make this guy dump it. I'm going to beat him back to the puck, make a quick pass. I'm a way better defenseman. I'm going to be way more on the plus than on the negative in the stat column because I'm not having to actually play defense, even though you're a defenseman. I liken that too. Like I was, I was talking to my guys last night on the ice. We're doing like a simple cycle drill. And what I know, I, I coach a U16 team this year. And what I notice is the guy making the pass isn't thinking about the, how the next guy needs to receive the puck. So when they're putting it off the boards, they're just laying it on the board. So it stays on that yellow ring around the bottom of the ice. And I'm stopping the drill immediately. And I'm like, boys, you're playing checkers. I want you to play chess. Think a move ahead. You need to think about the angle. The puck is bouncing off that the bottom of the boards so that your teammate can skate into the puck without having to dig it into there. And then maybe he loses time. He loses space. Now a D man's all over him. If you pull your stick out to the middle of the ice and then you bank it in a way that the puck bounces off the boards. Now your guy who you're cycling it to is a way better player and can make a better pass because you thought ahead. So don't just think what's the move in front of me. Think what are two moves in front of me and how do I make everyone else better? Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite plays, at least offensively, uh, used to be with Brody Roybal. He's probably one of the fastest kids you're ever going to see in sled hockey. And I love making just this really indirect pass where since in sled hockey, you can't skate backwards, right? So playing defense is all about looking over your shoulders. So if I'm on the right side of a guy and he's looking over his right shoulder, I'm going to drag, I'm going to lean to the left and I'm going to start coming to the left side of the ice. I'm going to make wait till his head turns to the left side. I'm going to put the puck on his right side, let Brody come across the ice in front of him. And I'm just going to slowly, I just slowly fill up pucks. I wouldn't, I hardly make direct passes just because I'm able to put it into a spot. And I love letting guys skate in it because then they can make a decision on where they want to do it because in sled it's really tough to have a stick down if you're going full bore because both your arms are 
occupied with skating. But if you can make an area pass, it gives the guy more time to adjust. Nobody's dropping their stick down real quick and most of the time missing passes because you're able to put it into an area. They can skate into it. And then he's basically gliding the rest of the way because the defenseman's looking the other way. And then by the time he realizes it, he doesn't know what's happening. Playing chess, my man. I love it. <laughs> Very cool. I'm trying. Hey, it's really funny to hear you talk about the game and the type of player that you feel like you are because I actually um, sent a tweet out today about Nicholas Jalmerson uh, from the Coyotes. You know, he's, I think he's probably one of the most underrated players in league history. You know, winning three Stanley Cups for Chicago and uh, uh, he's just an incredible player. And it, it kind of sounds like you almost model your game after him. Is he a guy that you kind of, and this is actually another question I wanted to ask you because it's not like you can sit around on a Monday or Tuesday night and watch a sled hockey game and get better from that. You know, Jeff, Jeff has talked about, and we've talked a lot on the podcast about how we feel like we've gotten better as hockey people from being able to sit down and and watch hockey. So um, do you watch a lot of NHL hockey as well um, in, in trying to make yourself better? Are the games that compatible? And if you do, what are some things that you take out of it? And maybe who are some players that you try to model your game after that was like eight questions yeah. so hopefully That's you fine. can answer at least um, one of them <laughs> i'm hoping i really like jalmerson i think he's a really great defensive defenseman i mean he plays a simple game and that's the kind of game i want to play i don't i don't like playing a fancy game i don't have the stick work i like to be able to just make those quick little passes and then go get open or something like that but you know growing up i used to watch um brian rafalski scott niedermeyer was one of my favorites to watch i mean guess I'm leaning towards the devils, but I kind of, I kind of align more with Rafalski because he was a smaller defenseman and I'm a smaller defenseman. And then Scott Niedermeyer, he was just, he skated so effortlessly. And I got to watch him play, uh, just before we went over to Vancouver, I want to say we went to Chicago and I got to see him play for Anaheim and just watching how he, he was, he was way too far ahead of the play for anybody. And he'd like pinch up on a guy before he even thought about getting a puck. He'd take that option away and force the guy to go another way. And, um, and as far as like games being compatible, I watch, I try to watch as much sled hockey as I can. Most of our games are on YouTube. So it's pretty easy to just with smart TVs now to pop a game on. But I think a lot of the stuff is compatible. Like even, uh, at the conference I was learning stuff from, uh, uh, coach Lalonde, like just opening your hands up, like that's compatible for me because I want to be able to open my right hand up to get a better shot because that's how I shoot. Yeah. I'm not leaning on my stick and not letting the stick do the flex, but I'm getting my whole arm into it. But it's something that I don't do as much with my left hand. So I'm right hand dominant. I'm the best with my right hand, but my left hand side, a lot of times I keep the stick kind of parallel with my sled rather than opening it up. And so I'm limiting my options. So instead of, so I can really only make a pass from left to right rather than opening up my arm and making a pass on the left side or to the middle of the ice or to the right side. And I'm not able to add that deception. So like I try to pick as much as I can up from it. Not all of it's compatible and on the ice. Like I've tried some stuff that I've seen in games that I'm just sitting there going that that doesn't work. And then I just stop. Like, like I told Jeff, like he had never trained in a disabled athlete before, but I said, like, we can try stuff. If you want to try something and it doesn't look right, we can just say, we're never doing that again. And then move on. Like I'm never like, you always got to try new things. And I mean, I'm a guy that says like, I'll try anything once, especially like weird food, stuff like that. Like you got to give it a try. Cause then you, if you don't try, you don't know if it doesn't work. And if it's stupid and it works, it's not stupid. Well, even if it's stupid and it doesn't work, at least you know that it doesn't work. 
I, I don't think there's anything that's stupid. And um, I, we, we encourage coaches on this podcast all the time. Like if you think of a new drill, like do it. And if it doesn't end up working, then it's one drill out of however, however many hundreds you're going to do that year. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not that big of a deal, but to be innovative and creative and, and try new things and fail. I mean, I think that's what becoming better is all about. Love that. I, the kids always that I train with in the summers, you know, I have a list of like all these hand eye games that I want them playing every day. We come in, they warm up, they do mobility, they do prehab. And then we go into, um, you know, some hand eye work and coordination. And after, you know, we've gone through every game a couple times, they're like, well, what should I do today? What should I do today? And I, and I say like, Hey man, like you see the patterns of what the games are about. You know what we're trying to work on come up with something like let's make a fun game and i love seeing what kind of games they come up with well like let's try this today and let's do this and again like it's that creativity and getting out of your comfort zone and being okay with like "Ah, i like this i don't like this and then we'll just kind of make up different rules and then i'll add it to the list and then all of a sudden that becomes part of one of the games that you're allowed you know you can play that i give them at the start of the summer so like yeah be creative find different ways to grow find different ways to challenge this is the norm right now like that's how you're going to do new things and get a get to be a better person and player. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, Spudsy, um, we've talked a lot of hockey. It's been really cool and stuff, but I want to talk about kind of what you're doing now. Uh, you were at our, uh, one of our best speakers at our hockey development conference in Chicago, uh, in August, uh, the reception that, uh, and the feedback that I got from a lot of the people that came, they, they loved the, your message and they loved your story and loved what you had to say. Um, and that's something that you're kind of spreading around right now. You're getting into the motivational speaking game. Um, I'll plug you a little bit here. Go to Josh Paul com if you want to book him um, or find out a little bit more about his story. So um, talk to us a little bit about how you got into that and uh, maybe a little bit about what you talk about when you speak with uh, the audiences that you're in front of. Yeah, I mean, so I started, it's just about a, a little less than a year since I quit my job. Um, I was working at FTL Finance. It was a finance company and the people were unbelievable. I loved what I did, but it was it was the work like I knew I could do something better with my story. Like I knew I could impact people in a different way. Like I was still presenting, I was selling, but I wanted to start selling myself. I wanted to start selling a better message. And um, so about a year ago, like I said, I quit my job. I went full into the motivational speaking. Um, so I'm working with teams. I'm working with coaches. I'm working with businesses. Um, I spoke at an Olympic day uh, for a team building activity for a, a company here in St. Louis. And so I, I'm really all about wanting to make sure I can have a positive impact on people. And I know my story from going from, you know, a plug, a third, I was on the fourth line when we only had three lines all the way up to being one of the relied on as one of the top players and the captain. Now Um, I I can kind of relate to pretty much anybody in the hockey spectrum, but I've dealt with a lot of adversity in my life and I I don't want to say it is a negative thing because I think adversity just makes you stronger as long as you're able to overcome it. And so I want to help people understand that challenges are there because they're going to make you stronger and failure is not failure unless you give up. And so I want to be able to help inspire people to be the best version of themselves. And I want to make sure that they're able to achieve what I've achieved in whatever they want to do. So hopefully most of them are going to be Paralympic gold medalists. If they are awesome. Um, 
but usually that means, depending on who I'm speaking to, it means something tragic happened and they lost a limb or something. So, uh, but I want to empower them to be the best in their field. And that's kind of what my speaking's about. That's kind of what my book's about. Uh, and it's something that I really like to talk about. So I talked on topics like leadership. I've talked about adversity and how you deal with it. I've talked a little bit about um, when Jeff was there for the AAA Blues, I talked about um, just how to be yourself in a, in a place full of detractors uh, that are going to try to hold you back, how to ignore the, I don't want to say haters, but the people that are trying to hold you back and become who you want to be and be comfortable in your own skin. Cause it was something I don't want to necessarily say I struggled with, but I never really found my identity until I found hockey. It gave me an identity and it gave me somewhere I belonged. And so I talk on that and then a couple different things as far as like disability. Um, I don't want to say inclusion, but infusion. So rather than just adding something in, you want to infuse disability into whatever you do because uh, the joke's out, uh, disabled people are all around us with one of the largest minorities in the world that's not really talked about. And so you most of the time you can't go around without uh, talking to somebody with a disability. And it's really not that hard, but people tend to struggle with it. And so I want to help educate people in that as well. Oh man, that's, very cool. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So many good points there. But the one I want to ask you a little bit more about was just the you know the minority part of it. And do you ever feel like you're? I don't even know if discriminated against is the right word. But you know, I have brothers that have special needs, and I see the way that people treat them at times, and it, it just it, it sucks. And uh, like, do you ever have to deal with that with uh, you know with your disability as well? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, so. It's a little bit different. Like when I was in school, I participated in gym class. Like I had people that wouldn't let me hold myself back. So I had gym teachers that were like, you're going to jump rope. If we have to flip the road rope over you, you walk over it and then we flip it behind you again. Like I was really included in that kind of stuff. And I love that because it made me who I am. But at the same time, like I – They'd give like we were playing baseball outside, I remember, and they'd always give me extra strikes because I'm trying to stand without my legs on. So my legs are actually uneven. So I I had a hard time kind of like standing still. So they'd give me extra strikes and being a competitive person. I was just sitting there going, well, I I just struck out. And they're like, no, 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 we'll let you keep going. Like, I don't want to be pitied. I want to be able to be a competitive athlete. And that's what sled hockey gave me. It gave me an even playing field. But I mean, I get that. I get kids running up. I, I love kids because they're sitting there going, why do you have robot legs? And then I correct them. I'm like, no, they're transformer legs. Um, but the worst part is the parents that sit there and go, oh, don't, don't talk to him. Don't, don't, don't do that. Like, I'd rather you come up and ask me, hey, what happened? Or talk to me about it because I'm not going to hide it. I'm wearing shorts as much as I can. I used to joke all the time with my boss. I was like, yeah, I'm just so thankful that we have a, such a casual work environment. I don't have to wear pants. I meant like I only have to wear shorts, but she was like, you got to make sure you're careful how you say that because we're not a pantsless workplace. (laughs) And so and so it's those things that like I want to make sure that people are educated on because uh, like you said, Toph, like I I don't know. I want to be I mean, the easiest way to put it is treat people with disabilities just like any other person. It's really it's the difficult concept, apparently, but it's not that hard. Like, don't be staring at my legs going, hey, Josh, how you doing? Because I'll hit you with the, hey, my eyes are up here. <laughs> but it's stuff like like that. You don't want to be rude, but you want to educate. And I don't – I love kids because they don't have filters. And a lot of times, like I had a kid. I was getting ready to go on the ice and he looked at me. He's like, where are your legs? I'm like, they're in locker room – in the locker room. And he's like, no, they're not. I'm like, go look. Locker room three, they're in the right-hand corner. He runs in the locker room. He runs out and he, I was like, were they there? He was like, yeah. 
Like, <laughs> I'm not lying to you. But it's those things like you want to you want to make people comfortable. And that's why I make jokes about it because it, it disarms people. Well, and yeah, you did so, one to me. We were so Spudgy came up and played in our charity game in Ithaca. And, you know, I'm, I'm running around because I'm getting everything ready. I'm, you know, like running around with a chicken, like a chicken with my head cut off. And Spudgy comes up to me. He's like, hey, Tof, I got a problem. I'm like, what's that? He's like, oh, I forgot my shin pads at home. And uh, do, you, do you guys think, do you have any extra ones? Is somebody, and I'm like, I don't, I, uh, uh, I just, I, yeah, I'll go check. I'm like, and he's like, Tof, I'm kidding. I'm like, you're such an asshole. Like, <laughs> oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> Beauty. He hits me with stuff like that. Like every, we work out, we're working out twice a day, twice a week, uh, the gym now. And he'll hit me with something like that every day. And I just start dying laughing. Gets me every time. Yeah. And it's funny when he says it to somebody else and you see it and you're not the butt of the joke anymore, but you can like <laughs> yeah. laugh at their expense. Um, but it's I, yeah. I, I like, I feel like it's kind of similar to me being, being small where you almost have to make the joke first. So they don't make the joke on you, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. See, my favorite thing is to not make a joke and then like have some people know me and then somebody else will make a joke about me not having legs or whatever. And I'll look at him with a real serious face and be like, that's not funny at all. <laughs> They'll be so offended. Then I'll just start cracking up. Like one of my highlights is David Backus from the Bruins. Well, he was with the blues. He came out and did our media training before Sochi and he came on the ice with us. And I was like, enthralled. I was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to get this guy. He seems like a, just a really good dude. And he's one of the, best people I've ever met. And I went up to him. I was like, Hey, can you teach me how to kick the skate, kick the puck up with my skate? And he looks at me with this huge grin. It's just like, no. (laughs) And that's how I knew like, this is going to work out. Like he's a cool guy because he just told me no. When most people would be like, I don't know what to say. You know, there's so, so many people are so afraid of offending people. And I don't want to say that everybody's like me that can laugh about this, but you know, it's, it's, to me, it just helps me un- like helps other people understand the situation I'm in. And it helps me just have some fun with life. Cause I can't, I can't determine, I couldn't determine that I didn't have legs. Like it's just what happened. And I live by a real simple math equation E plus R equals O. So the events plus our reactions equal our outcomes. And most of the time people are trying to change the events, but in reality, you have no control over the event, right? I have no control that I was born without legs. You have no control that you were cut from a team, but you can change your response. And that's what I did. And that'll change the outcome. Yeah. Jeff and I are both writing this down right now, as I'm sure there are a lot of people are listening. (laughs) Yeah. just took literally writing. How have I known you for a year and you've never told me that E plus R equals O. Will you just say that again? So I can, uh, I'm not the oh, don't tell – wait, hold on. Let's play a joke on him. Don't tell him. What I do you think it, it is? Events plus reactions equal events plus reactions. Outcome. Boom. Oh. It's like – remember Slippy's that – Slippy's car is green. Hey, Jeff, do you remember that episode of The Office where um, Andy's singing the song? It's the Kit Kat uh, jingle. He's like, give me a break. Give me a break. Break me off a piece. And then he forgets. And then Jim's like, don't tell him. Yeah. She's like, don't make me have a piece of that fancy feast. Oh! <laughs> it's a great episode. Yeah, that's what was going through my head there. But uh, that's honestly, did you come up that way yourself, Josh, or did you get that from someone else? That is awesome. No, I stole that one. Uh, but it's something that I think a lot of people really need to take into consideration. Like you, I can only control myself, right? I can't, I, and 
I've talked a little bit about this. You don't want to compare yourself to other people. You can admire different things. Like Jeff, I admire your work ethic. Topher, I admire the, the heart you have for so many of the, the different events that you're able to put on for charity. Like I can admire those things. I'm not going to be either of you guys in either of those aspects, but I can use those things to make me a better Josh Pauls. And so many times, like you try to compare yourself to other people when the only person you can one be better than is who you were yesterday, but you can only control yourself. I can't control what other people say or think or react, but I can control what I do. And I mean, it's true in sports, it's true in life. So you want to make sure that you take in consideration, like I can't control flight delays, right? Flight delays suck. Like when I was driving up to Chicago, there were two instances for that, uh, for the conference. There were two instances where I basically parked my car on the highway and I sat there and I, I wanted to get stressed out. But at, at that point I was like, well, I didn't get into an accident. I'm not the one that's up ahead. Like, why am I getting upset? I'm going to get there eventually. It's just a matter of time. So it's all about perspective and it's making sure that you have the right perspective. Nice. Well, Spudsy, Powerful words. as soon, as soon as I have any kind of group, uh, that can hire a motivational speaker, I'm going to hire you. <laughs> I love it, man. I appreciate it. No, it's good. Well, the will other it, thing will that the you... second hire be, uh, will fully motivational speaker. Will fully <laughs> the man that lives down by the river. Living in a van down by the river. <laughs> Uh, I like it. Well, Spudsy, you got one other thing on the hop right now that you're, uh, you're working on that we'd love to help you plug. You just wrote a book and, uh, it's called lessons learned my journey to the podium. And, uh, I can't wait to get my hands on it. So, uh, if you can just kind of tell our listeners what the book is and, and where they can find it and, and when it's coming out and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it really just chronicles kind of my life up to this point. I guess it, it kind of ends right after Pyeongchang. Um, but it's me reflecting on a lot of different things. I know, Tof, you're really big on reflecting on diff- on you know events and things to get better. And I really think it was so fun to write because I was able to reflect and I was able to understand kind of the lessons that I had learned that I'm able to share with other people. And so like one one thing is talked about back and down the stairs. Another one talks about some of my hockey career. Um, it's it's an inspirational book, uh, but it's not hockey specific. I know this is a hockey podcast, so there's plenty of hockey in there. Um, but it's not – you don't need an overarching view of hockey to, to enjoy it and to read it because I'll tell you some of the best memories I have on hockey trips – had nothing to do with hockey at all. And so I'll be selling it. Uh, make sure you follow me on social media. I'm sure you guys will tag me in the episode, but it's at SpudsUSA27. I'll have links out uh, here soon. But for anybody in St. Louis, on October 5th, the uh, the Blues are playing in town. It's a Saturday. Uh, it's Center Ice Brewery on Olive Street in St. Louis. I'm doing a book signing, a book launch party with, uh, with Steve Albers, the owner there. And so he was generous enough to open up his space and have a big party. Um, I'll be there at 4 o'clock. So October 5th, 4 o'clock is where I'm going to be. I'll have books available for signing, for uh, purchase. And I really want hope to kind of have a lot of people there. I know there's going to be just because it's a blues. Uh, it's the first weekend blues game, and that's kind of why we did it. But uh, it's really exciting. And I will say, like, uh, I, I did have help writing it. I had a book coach, but all the writing inside of it is is my own. So he helped me frame the stories, but I did it all on my own. And that's something that, one, I'm really proud of, but also something that, you know, it's genuinely Josh Paul's. It's not somebody else writing for me. 
Love it, man. Well, I'm sure if, for the people that don't know you, and this is uh, your introduction to them on this podcast, I would imagine a lot of people are going to want to get that book based on a lot of the stuff that you've been talking about today. You're an inspirational dude. Um, and we've so happy to get you finally on the podcast again we've been trying to get you on here for a while um but uh yeah follow josh on social media uh buy the book go to joshpauls.com and uh you'll just be filled with inspiration um so appreciate you taking the time to to come on the podcast um i'm going to make sure jeff pushes you even harder uh the next time at the gym um so you can be even more jacked um but appreciate it man and uh we'll certainly be in touch soon Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it.